Good Sunday evening, y'all. If you live in states like Idaho, Texas, Oklahoma, there's some more of you out there. Abortion is now illegal in your states because of the trigger bills. What happened this past Friday is a watershed moment. I'm grateful that you have tuned into Water Break to mark this momentous SCOTUS ruling. The Water Break team is ready, so grab your favorite scotch or Dr. Pepper, you know, with the fam, and let's go. First, though, this episode is brought to you by, this show is brought to you by New St. Andrews. Today's culture shifts like sand, but New St. Andrews College is established on Christ the Rock, the immovable rock. It is a premier institution that forges evangelical leaders who don't fear or hate the world. Guided by God's word, they take the world back because they're equipped with the genius of classical liberal arts and God-honoring wisdom. Thanks to a faculty dedicated to academic rigor and to God's kingdom. Find out more. Go to NewStAndAndrews.com, NSA.edu, not NewStAndAndrews.com. That's NSA.edu. Check them out. Uh, Great college there for your children. Handball or belly flop? Okay. Uh, Big moment this week. This past Friday, June 24th, 2022, the day Roe versus Wade was overturned. Mark that date on your calendar. 60 million babies have been murdered legally in America since 1973. And even though the SCOTUS decision was never really law of the land, each conservative state capitulated back in 1973 and legalized, you know, quote, legalized Roe uh, state by state. The cowardly legislators... Uh, legislative bodies that buckled and adopted the right for babies to be killed in their mother's womb and the governors who did not stand in their way. What I want to press on you is that we have a lot to repent of here. But I think the call of the hour is actually to celebrate. But before I get there, watch, watch a culture of life spring up in states like Idaho, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, about 13 states that already have trigger bills where abortion is illegal starting June 24th, and contrast that with a culture of death in Washington, California, New York, 19 states that already have legalized legislation in place, legalized abortion in place in their states. Now, there are about 15 states that could still potentially ban abortion, states like uh, Florida, Alabama, South Carolina, and more. So imagine, add all these states up, imagine an America where 28 states have made abortion illegal. Man, for my generation, which has grown up in an America where we only knew abortion is legal. I'm 43. Roe v. Wade's been around since 1973. This is really incredible. Our children will have the opportunity to grow up in a state that honors life, that protects life, and where the innocent blood of the unborn will not be spilled, at least in states like Idaho and the ones listed earlier. Now, Alito... Alito concludes kind of with this confused whopper of a quote here. This is how he concludes his his opinion. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elective representatives. Okay, but what's weird is uh, Alito earlier referenced the 14th Amendment, which states nor, which states this, a portion, quote, I'm quoting a portion of it, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, property, life, liberty, or property. 
Okay, remember that little, little 14th Amendment, you know, Declaration of Independence, too? So while abortion is ending in a number of states, and more to come, hopefully, will follow, SCOTUS punted on defining what is a person. Okay, that's a battle we still got to fight. Um, so, so once a, but but here we let me in here. Not everything is perfect here. Some states will have even exceptions. Even the conservative states that have made abortion illegal will have exceptions. But this re, this is real progress as the gospel can collides with our culture and leftist bloodlust administrations like um, Joe Biden. This is a real victory. Now, while Hollywood, New York, and you know, former governor of Virginia, blackface Northam, are lamenting the fact that more black babies will live now, this is truly a watershed moment. I can't think of a better way to end Pride Month. The White House should light up. Your business should make a social, you know, social media post rejoicing in this moment. Your business. Your church should make a big deal out of this. And bring your kids into this conversation. Explain to them this moment, the history of abortion. And why the fight just went to a whole new level. Get ready to buy abandoned Planned Parenthood buildings and turn them into churches, birthing centers, and adoption centers. Be praying for wisdom and protection as violence will be coming from the left in the coming weeks, targeting crisis pregnancy centers and churches. That will happen. It already has. And lastly, don't get distracted by all the hate and intimidation you know, that you see on social media or, or walking in the store and, and the leftist hair being lit on fire. God is in control. God is bringing down the strongholds of high places of blood sacrifice right before our eyes. And so worship God. Love your family. Keep your hands on the plow and faithfully till the row that God has in front of you. That's always the response. So with that said, because this is such a momentous occasion. I wanted to bring the whole water break team in uh, to discuss uh, Roe v. Wade and what just happened in SCOTUS. So what does America look like uh, post uh, Roe here? And Red, I want to kick that over to you first. Sure. I think, uh, well, first of all, just praise God uh, for his Amen. mercy in this decision. But as we look uh, forward to what Amer- what does America look like post Roe, I mean, yeah. I think it looks... Uh, chaotic in some ways, potentially Mm -hmm. violent in the short term. But um, I'm grateful that I think the lines are being clearly drawn between the culture of life and culture of death. And I think we're going to see that play out in the long term in ways that are really beneficial to uh, to our cause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, John, I think what you're in Indiana. I am. And I'm looking at a map of of the states that already have trigger bills and it doesn't look like indiana has a trigger bill but also doesn't look like indiana really has much uh regarding even legalizing roe what what do you think the battle is going to look like in indiana the republicans are already starting to to talk about it and make noise but like like usual they're you know they're playing catch up they're like oh wow this seems like it might get overturned pretty soon so probably in the next 10 minutes, like 10 minutes from now, we need to start making plans. And so yeah. everything's kind of up in the air. Um, the one thing that I'm confident about <clears throat> is that the the pro-abortion people are going to be civil and respectful throughout the entire proceeding. <laughs> yes. I have a great deal of confidence in that. Now, it will be mostly peaceful. Right. Yeah. yeah. Peaceful, reasonable. Um, they'll, they'll pay strict attention to the rule of law 
all of that stuff is going to happen moving forward. That's my prediction. Jacob, you're in California, man. Um, how do you view this moment um, as yeah. someone who who moved to the states? Um, you know, came from India. Uh, you know, I don't even know what the the laws are in India regarding abortion. But uh, and, and of course, now you're kind of in the hotbed. You're in California. How do you view this moment? Uh, I feel no difference uh, in terms of being in India and here with regards to abortion. I don't know if you know this, but um, the largest numbers of abortion in the world is actually it happens in India, unfortunately. Um, but in, in the midst of all this, let me say I'm so rejoicing uh, for this momentous time that we are living in. I'm reminded of something that Chesterton said, you know, uh, at least five times the faith has to all appearances go, gone to the dogs. In each yeah. of these five cases, it was the dog that died. And we got that moment to actually witness it. Um, there is much to be done uh, in terms of uh, going forward and how we actually engage with a kind of a culture war, which is going to be even more aggressive. Uh, I think there's going to be more division, definitely. Um, some states will have more prohibitive you know, uh, measures. Other states will basically subsidize. And uh, my fear is that we don't give into this whole abortion tourism. Uh, that might happen. And there will be states that will be wanting to actually cash this moment as well. Hmm. Now, Rod, um, you're, uh, respectfully, you, you're older, you're the oldest, uh, you're the senior level guy here. You, um, yes, probably, you remember, children. You probably remember <laughs> mostly, you probably remember when Roe v. Wade, um, that case happened. I, I um, is that correct? I mean, you were were you alive and present? I was three, actually, three okay. and yeah. uh, and it has of course defined the entire era of my yeah. life. And and actually, I'm glad you said that because the historical perspective is important. Mm -hmm. It took a civil war to overturn Dred Scott. Mm -hmm. It took almost sixty years to overturn Plessy versus Ferguson. It has taken just shy of 50 years to overturn Roe. Lesson, elections really do matter. Yeah. You get a landmark decision, it's going to take a long time to undo it. Normally, I know Justice Thomas today said something about overturning Obergefell yeah. and, and other cases also. I'm glad that he is speaking to those issues, but the reality is these things take a long time, and we should understand why that's not entirely terrible. It, it's certainly terrible when there's an unjust ruling that lasts a long time, but it's important to remember it has taken that long to persuade enough people that this mattered enough to do something about it. Right. When, when Roe happened, 70% of evangelical Christians supported it. They just saw it as a woman's rights issue. They didn't understand the magnitude of what abortion was. Ronald Reagan signed the abortion law in California into law in 1967. Now, later, he came to understand how evil it was. He completely repented of that. He was the most pro-life president we ever had. But wow. it took a while for, for him to understand, it has taken a long time for America to understand. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly right. All these pro-life laws we've been passing all these years that everybody told us didn't matter and wouldn't ever That's take right. effect, they're taking effect now. You know, that unborn child amendment that we worked so hard on in the 80s in the state of Arkansas, mm. it completely bans abortion 
in yeah. about 30 days from now. It takes effect yeah. in, in about 30 days. And, wow. and so all these things we did all these years matter, but the real end game, if you really want to end the slaughter, if you really want people to understand personhood and why you were citing the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, no state may take uh, life, liberty, or property without That's due right. process law. If you really want that to apply to all people equally, we still have the problem of persuading the majority right. that that baby is a person That's and right. that that person is worth protecting. That's our job now. I need to uh, fact check you, Gabe. Okay. Uh, I'm older than Rob. I was eight years old when Roe v. Wade became law. So, oh, so do, do you re, do you actually remember anything about that decision in 73? At eight? No. I, but I, but I, I do remember that I was eight in 73, yeah. and Rob was a mere three. <laughs> Mob, Rob was, you remember Rob, Rob was, was a mere yeah, three? Yeah, Rod was – I don't remember that Rod was three, but he said he was three, and I believe yeah. him. And, yeah. uh, Interestingly enough, I was child. living in Moscow, Idaho when I was three. So That's right. So, that's yeah. right. So what do you what do you think? Um, I mentioned, uh, you know, I, I brought you you alluded to this. I brought in the Fourteenth Amendment. I mean, there's definitely some problems with uh, the ruling, but at the same time, there's a lot of strengths about what uh, Alito was arguing. I mean, he brought in history of of all the um, pro life rate, uh, uh, you know, for the you know since the 1800s. Uh, yes, in in the SCOTUS hearing, I mean, what do you what do you kind of t- what do you walk away with Alito's opinion? Well, you got to look at at it on two different levels. There is the content of the decision, which is about the mass slaughter of infants, and and on that level, obviously, it's not as great a ruling as we would prefer, but it's absolutely mm-hmm. the best ruling we could have gotten. Mm-hmm. At the same time, on a legal level. Six justices just really cleaned up our jurisprudence yeah. in a huge way, in much the same way as the Brown versus Board of Education Court. There is a there is a powerful case in Dobbs for not just legislating from the bench. They actually make the correct case yeah. that Roe was not just wrongly decided, but pulled out of thin air. Yeah. And this is no way for our court system to work. It, Roe was the worst decided decision in American history, regardless of the content. It could have been about Kool-Aid. It could have been about trees. It mm-hmm. wouldn't have mattered. It was the worst decided decision in American history. It is absolutely abominable law, regardless of the content. And mm-hmm. they have fixed something that has been dogging American jurisprudence for a very long time. It seems to me like one of the upsides, real quick, is that uh, mm-hmm. it's going to it's going to send a message out to a lot of the plebeians who don't understand how the uh, government is supposed to work. That mm-hmm. the federal government doesn't get to make all of the decisions for everybody all across the nation, uh, and that's just because yeah. uh, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think, you know, whatever happens in Washington, whatever they decide, that is the way we have to live our lives. And this is kind of a, a stark uh, reminder that, no, actually, the federal government doesn't have uh, the right to to set the marching orders for everybody in the states. Mm-hmm. And as we as we realize that and as people realize that this is the point where we need to, you know, uh, follow 
follow the doctrine of pursuit and keep pursuing down those lines and keep pursuing um, state yeah, by right. state with legislation. It now's not the time. Uh, it is the time to celebrate today mm-hmm. and this weekend, um, but it's not the time to say, well, that battle's over. Uh, it's the time to press on the gas and let's, uh, you know, this is a great ruling. It's not, it doesn't solve everything. And we need yeah. to, we need to keep pursuing to get uh, further down the line. Oh yeah. This battle is just beginning today. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Gabe, connecting to your question about how I see it, um, this is unique about America. You know, Americans need to re- remember that you are a republic and this is how the whole system works and people have a say in, in, with regards to how public behavior comes about. And I would say, uh, just add this to it, that we have to recalibrate our culture with life works in, instead of death works. And we've been teaching our children, mm. we've been teaching our young people, you know, just uh, uh, everything outside the whole idea of sanctity of life. And that needs to be reclaimed. And um, uh, let me also say that there's enough foundation available here uh, to build a flourishing society and people need to actually read their history, read as to what uh, biblical ideas have contributed to the Western civilization and how it has built this very nation that mm-hmm. has been a flourishing nation on the face of the earth. Do you see kind of the next fight here? I mean, I think there's definitely some fight at the state level. Obviously, some states that there's a lot of fighting that needs to be happening at the state level. But it seems like there still needs to be a national law that protects life. You know, the right to life, I mean, the 14th Amendment, and then we can't define when life begins or when what a person is. It seems like that should still be a national law. Well, and that law exists. The baby is a person. So the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment passed in 1868 already says you may not take life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So, yes, we now have to persuade the public that that baby is a person and codify that in a way that makes the 14th Amendment attach. And I think this court showed a a pretty promising willingness to take up an argument like that if we will just make it. I think it's pretty bold of you. The day that Roe versus Wade gets overturned, you propose that we actually make abortion illegal throughout the entire country. Uh, And I'm (laughs) applauding you for that. It's like, yeah, there's no reason. No, no reason to take a minute and let things settle. Let's just yeah. let's just go completely the opposite direction from what we've had. And uh, yeah, take that, take that, pro-choicers. That's that's post mill right there, John. Yeah, you're you're, you're like, okay, Roe versus Wade is overturned. How about abortion is illegal for everybody across the state? How about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I said earlier in my monologue, I said it'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch a culture of life, let's say, be nurtured in Idaho and a culture of death grow up in, you know, Washington or God, you know, California. I mean, some of these states that where abortions just really entrenched in their culture and their laws. Um, you know, what do you, Rhett, what do you kind of see as the, uh, if that happens over the next 30 years, what do you think will happen, let's say, as, as neighbors of Idaho and Washington? Uh, what do you think that's going to look like? Well, I mean, I think you you got to think about w- what kind of fruit does a culture of death produce and what kind of fruit, cultural fruit, uh, does a culture of life produce? And so it's going to affect uh, it's going to affect everything. Um, our culture is going to be downstream from what what do we believe about human life and how do we treat human life? And so that's going to affect not just 
birth rates, that's going to affect economies, that's going to affect family cultures, that's going to affect education. Uh, so it's going to have wide ranging effects. What it means for neighboring states that have different um, cultures there or, or neighboring regions, I'm not exactly sure. I, I do think the tensions are going to be there for a while. How that, how that proceeds, I'm not exactly sure, but I do think the differences in the fruit that uh, a state like Idaho with a culture of life will produce and a state like Washington with a culture of death will produce will be stark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I believe uh, in a call to disciple the nations, and these are uh, some um, necessary hiccups that, that are necessary, I would say, but we need to actually work with this confidence that um, righteousness prevails. We've been sold this lie time and again that Christians have nothing to contribute. They have nothing to say. Uh, They can't make any changes in policies. But look at this. I mean, God has worked through people, through organizations who have fought really well and have brought back uh, uh, the understanding of what it means to be righteous in culture. So this is what I would say. I would say we have to trust in the word of God, in the fact that if we stand for his righteousness, he is going to make a stand. We stand for God. Stand, God makes us stand for him in righteousness. Amen. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, as sorry, go ahead. I was just going to piggyback on that, what you're talking about, but discipling the nations and the tensions. Uh, we can't expect that the discipling of the nations is going to happen to polite golf applause. Um, it's, there's <laughs> going to be That's right. um, That's a great point. tensions. There's going to be, uh, unfortunately, sadly, there's going to be violence. Um, but as you said, Jacob, righteousness will prevail. God is on, uh, we're on God's side and he will prevail. And so I think we need to go forth in this with a lot of confidence in uh, what God is doing. And just, just thinking about what a time to be alive, to see what God is doing, to see his mercy on display in this, to see his victory going forth and happening. Just what a, what a wonderful time to be alive. It looks bleak in a lot of ways, but just uh, it's great to be a part of what God is doing now. On Friday, uh, I saw President Biden's uh, press conference after the SCOTUS hearing w- uh, opinion was released. Uh, so if you got a chance to, to watch that. There are, and, and Biden, they're already starting to make this um, about November. Because now they know that, I mean, there's a number of stuff in his, his, press, his presser that was horrible that he said. But they're all, he's already turning this to November, making the argument that we need to re- elect Congress, congressmen, you know, uh, senators to nationalize abortion. So I, you know, John, to to, to your point, I want to nationalize life, uh, you know, the right to life. But Biden was already arguing that we need to put codify Roe into law and make abortion legal and force all the states to make abortion legal. What do you what do you think about November? You know this this play that Biden's already pushing for. Uh, do, do the Democrats even stand a chance in November? Well, of course they do, because uh, because people don't vote uh, based on rationality or truth anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, the Democrats have the same chance that they've always had because we uh-huh. we have uh, we have a whole voting culture and we're adding to that number every single day of people who don't have a clue what the constitution says. They don't have any sort of moral compass that Mm -hmm. tells them that, that the way they vote is a reflection of their character and their integrity. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the Democrats, 
the Democrats are going to manipulate those people because they're simpletons. They they have turned yes. their backs on God, so they don't have minds that function properly. And so anybody that gets like the president's press conference today was hysterical coming from a guy who claimed that he was going to unite the nation. I mean, I have yeah. I have never mm-hmm. heard more divisive, vitriolic words coming from behind the presidential pulpit than I heard today. And, yeah. and people are just eating it up. And so, of course, of course, the Democrats have got a shot. Um, they, they do have a shot. I, I'm pretty confident uh, about um, conservatives chances in November for a couple of reasons. One, you have you already have a red wave of such coming because of gas prices and inflation. And yeah. now you have not only an energized social and religious conservative uh, base to mm, turn out, yeah. but also motivate, energized by a victory, but also motivated to keep that nationalization of abortion uh, from happening. And so I think putting yeah. those two things together, you have the, the social religious conservative energized, but you also have the secular right because of just economic situation also mm. energized and ready to turn out. And so from that perspective, I'm pretty confident for November. Yeah. And I think in, in broader sense, we have to think that can we continue to be reactionary all the time? Uh, mm-hmm. What is our strategy? I think the other side has a, a weapon on their side. They're good at storytelling, mm-hmm. though mm-hmm. it is actually founded on myth most of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we can tell better stories founded on truth. And I think that's what we should be doing. And this is a fight uh, that we are fighting not with our own strength. And we have to mm-hmm. go with confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just want to say real quick, Gabe, that I have I've changed my perspective. I still think that I'm correct that the Democrats have a choice, but I vastly prefer both Rhett and Jacobs uh, optimistic outlook. So I'm going to go ahead and side with them, yeah. even though yeah. I even though I'm I, I'm a pessimist. You you sound like one of those easy persuasive guys that you were talking. I, about. I know I do, don't <laughs> I? I'm, it's like whatever, whatever sounds good. That's where I'm going. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks, Team Waterbreak, for joining us this week. Praise God for the SCOTUS ruling. Thank each of you guys for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. For my next guest, um, I'd like to bring in my friend Jeremy Stalnecker. Jeremy Stalnecker is the executive director of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Good friend. He's been on the show before. You might be familiar with Jeremy uh, and his work. And uh, well, Jeremy is in Ukraine right now, uh, which is – Seems kind of uh, interesting given the fact that we just had this uh, pretty watershed ruling on on uh, this past Friday. And so, yeah. uh, Jeremy, welcome to the show. And, and, you. and as you come in, you know, what are your thoughts about Roe ending as you're in Ukraine right now? You know what is crazy about that, Gabe? I was, um, you know, I'm in Ukraine. We'll talk about why. And I was downtown um, in the city square. It's actually a circle. For those that know Kiev, uh, there's a huge statue there. It's wow. where the uh, 2014 revolution took place, the Maidan revolution. And I was mm-hmm. down there because a group of pastors, a huge group of pastors get together every Friday night here in Kiev. And they hold, a, they call it a service, but it's it's singing and it's prayer. And it's very orderly. One pastor after another prays and then they sing yeah. a song. And uh, it's really to encourage folks during this time, right? So, so I'm standing there. I'm a part of that. I'm watching that. And it's, it's emotional because of what's happening in the country. And you have Christians that are saying the most important thing we can do is pray and wow. you know, sing praise and bring people together. And while I was standing there, I was taking pictures. So I had my phone out. And uh, mm-hmm. I got a notification on my phone 
that uh, Roe was overturned. And, wow. And it's crazy because I, I knew that was happening. I've been, been following it. I've done a couple shows on it. I've written on it. Yeah. But in the moment, that's not what I was thinking about. That came on my phone. I became very emotional. And it was it was just crazy. Um, you know, we see wow. Christians standing up and fighting for right, fighting for good, uh, fighting against evil. And to see the two, or to feel the two, I guess, contrasted uh, at that moment was pretty powerful for me. So, yeah, this is a great, great moment for our country. You texted me and said Roe was overturned. And I think my response was, it's awesome. There's a lot still to do. Okay, so now you have this amazing, um, uh, interesting moment of worship and praying and then seeing yeah. the SCOTUS ruling happen. Uh, does does this decision, have you seen, uh, talk to anybody on the ground, does this decision kind of resonate with, with the people of Ukraine at all? Uh, I haven't had that conversation with anyone here. They're pretty wrapped up in you know everything that's happening in their world right now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But for the Americans that are here, there's a handful of us. Uh, you know, it's a pretty big deal for us, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so why are you in Ukraine? I, I'm getting, I'm getting a little frustrated and I say frustrated. I don't say frustrated. <laughs> I say, fu- I'm getting a little frustrated because um, I see Hollywood stars taking pictures with the president of Ukraine. I see, I'm like, is this some sort of like, you know, uh vacation war photo op session going on in Ukraine? You know, what is, why are you in Ukraine and what is yeah. going on? So our organization, the Mighty Oaks Foundation, we work with veterans, active duty service members, and first responders. And very, very simply, what we do is we deal with trauma, whether it's related to service or life, and we present a faith solution to that trauma. And there are clinical solutions. There are a lot of things that you you and I have talked about. We've talked about on your show before. But what we do is we say, hey, if you understand that God is the creator, that he created you with a plan, a purpose, a hope, (laughs) then you can align your life to that. And if you align your life to that, then the trauma no longer has a hold on you. There is hope. There is newness of life on the other side of that. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And we've been blessed with opportunities around the world over the last couple of years to go to foreign militaries that are asking for what we would call spiritual resiliency training. Wow. And to do the exact same thing. So we're going somewhere else and we're talking about exactly that. Uh, Ukraine right now, as the entire world knows, is in a real fight. It's a real war. Um, so much is happening. Estimates between 20 and more. They're still trying to figure out how many people have died. Uh, more than 20,000 civilians and military members have been killed and what's happened here in Ukraine. Uh, wow. Certainly on the eastern, uh, the eastern regions of Ukraine, there is active fighting, kinetic battle taking place every single day right now. Here in uh, Kiev, where I am, bombs still come into the city uh, about once or twice a week, almost, I guess, as a reminder that the war is still taking place. And a lot of things are happening with that. There are military members who have been fighting since 2014. This has been going on for a long time. Most of the world doesn't know that. Um, So they've been fighting since 2014. Their families have been affected. They've been affected. And now you have civilians who are dealing with this, whether because their house is have been bombed. They've observed or participated in combat. They're being conscripted into the military. So much trauma. And I I believe we would agree that trauma really is a spiritual uh, issue. It's spiritual Mm -hmm. trauma. There is a spiritual Mm -hmm. then response. And there's a spiritual solution and a spiritual answer. And so we've been asked by um, many of the military commanders and chaplains here in Ukraine to please come and communicate that spiritual resiliency message with those who are serving right now. And so, 
you know, the other frustrating uh, situ- issue that I'm trying to deal with here is I'm trying to sort through what's true, what's yeah. not true. You know, I mean, obviously when the war first started, there was like video game scenarios yeah. coming out and everyone thought that was real, sit- real Ukraine situation. You know, what uh, from what you've seen on the ground, what is going on? Yeah, we uh, we drove all night last night. So I've been up for about two days from <laughs> Poland where we had to land and yeah. then drove in. And so that's how, how it works right now. Um, and the closer we got to Kiev, well, first of all, on the border between Poland and Ukraine to Kiev, there are checkpoints all along the way, soldiers along the way. Um, pretty lax. It's clear that what was happening is not still happening in the West. Yeah. But as we got closer to the city of Kiev, you started to see buildings, places on the street, um, fences where damage had been done and in the city, large buildings. What you've seen on the news, you know, you see the blown out buildings here. Talking to people that have been here and haven't left, uh, talk about, again, in Kiev, weekly um, events where missiles come into the city. Wow. So that's still wow. happening. But I will tell you here in Kiev, life goes on. People are doing, I, I've been here a number of times pre-war, uh, doing some of the same kind of training. And it, it looks exactly the same in terms of how the people are operating and functioning. I've been out to eat a couple of times since I've been here. Wow. Uh, but Incredible. On the east, in the east, and I've got good friends in uh, Mikhailov, um, on the Black Sea, uh, in the Donbass region, and Donetsk and Mariupol. Those areas, um, in- incredibly difficult fighting. We spent some time today with the number of chaplains, which here are all volunteers. Most of them are pastors that put on uniforms and go and minister to uh, folks yeah. on the front. They okay. talk about occupation. They talk about rape. They talk about. Um, you know, murder and the things that we've heard, but then just incredible combat uh, in Mariupol, for instance, uh, the leveling nearly of the entire city. Mm. So it, it, it is happening. Now, the push we saw of Russian troops coming into you, into Kiev, they pulled back over the last couple of weeks. Okay. And uh, they're, they're fighting really where they've been fighting since 2014 uh, on the eastern uh, border they're in okay. the country, but on the eastern border of Ukraine. Okay, so so who's who's winning? Is is it the the yeah. Russians that are winning? I mean, like like who's winning? Yeah, uh, somebody's winning, and I'm I'm betting it's not the Russians or the Ukrainians. I don't know who's winning. It's whoever's pulling the strings on this thing. Um, I talked to uh, someone here yesterday who is very connected to the intelligence situation on the ground here, yeah. and he he made the statement that Ukrainians are regaining between fifteen and. 30% of ground uh, on a daily basis. Now you break that up. It, it's not much, right? But they're continuing yeah. to push back. Um, I saw a map in a command center today that shows where the Russian troops were and where they are. So there's been a lot of movement. Ukraine has pushed back a lot, but yeah. where the Russian army is holding right now, uh, unless there is some large scale intervention from you know the West, from countries like the United States and right. other European countries, uh, and something decisive happens, I don't know how Russia can, unless they just leave, how they can be driven out. So uh, it's a really interesting time. A lot of progress has been made, but it, there's no telling what's going to happen next. Yeah. So uh, how, uh, well, I probably shouldn't ask some of the details. How long are you going to be on the ground? That yeah. kind of thing. Probably not a good idea. Um, so when you come back to the United States, ab- abortion is still going to be legal in California, but in other states that had yeah. trigger bills. So Idaho, we had a trigger bill. If Roe v. was overturned, uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned at SCOTUS level, yeah. then it immediately went into effect. I think uh, Idaho, Texas. Um, I actually have a whole map here. Yeah. Um, yeah, Idaho, Texas, Utah, 
that Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, um, let's see, uh, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Kentucky, they all had trigger bills. Now, what surprised me was South Carolina did not have a trigger bill. Mm, yep. Uh, Georgia didn't have a trigger bill. Alabama did not have a trigger bill. Florida did not have a trigger bill. Um, so there's still a lot of states. Iowa, uh, there's still a lot of states that in Montana that can really, I think, end abortion in those states. Obviously, yeah. California, which is a state, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the coastal states, you know, they're still uh, sure. going to have yep. abortion entrenched. But what you come back home, you hug your wife, you know, what, what do you how do you think about um, moving forward in in uh, in this fight? Yeah, I think one thing that's happened is the lines have been clearly drawn now. So no one can hide behind yeah. a decision that took place in 1973 and say, well, that's just how it is. So the lines have been drawn, and that's a good thing. That will cause division, but I don't think that's a bad thing either. I think people are now going to have to decide. How I think about that as a Christian, as a as a father, as a husband, yeah. is mm-hmm. we have done a poor job, I believe, we meaning the church, meaning Christians generally, mm-hmm. broadly, I've done a poor job communicating why it is that abortion is wrong. Mm-hmm. And we have allowed culture to put us in a box that says, well, it's wrong because you believe a book that we don't agree with. Therefore, it doesn't apply to us. That It's not a universal law. Mm-hmm. And it certainly is. What's crazy is last week I interviewed on my podcast a woman named Naomi Wolf. I don't know if you know Naomi yes. Wolf. Yes. Very, very famous feminist. Uh, yep. wrote a very famous book on feminism, kind of the Bible of feminism in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. And, and she's taken a lot of heat for her new book on what's happened with COVID and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And in our interview, we talked about abortion and she made the statement, I am pro-choice. I believe in a woman's right to choose. However, I believe the premise for Roe v. Wade was absolutely wrong. We yeah. now know scientifically that life begins much earlier than we ever wow. thought it did. Uh-huh. And what we're talking about now, this, these are her words, what we're talking about now, um, late-term abortions, postpartum abortions, is absolutely yeah. wrong. She yeah. said she used the word mengala. <laughs> and this is a woman who would wow. stand up for a woman's choice uh, you know, as it relates to abortion. And so if she can understand that because she's a reasonable woman, she's an intelligent woman, we, as the church, need to do a much better job of communicating our position. And now we have the opportunity to do it because there's a divide. There's a line. And we can yep. explain why we're on whatever side of the line we're on. There's clarity there. Uh, yep. um, where, what are the two podcasts that you host and where can people find out more information uh, about what you're doing and stay up and stay up with you? Yeah, a couple of places. The two podcasts that I host, one is called The Situation Report, and it deals primarily with cultural issues and uh, perspectives on those, how we can move forward in spite of those. The other one is called March or Die, which is a, a faith-focused, how we move forward in spite of what's happening in our lives. Uh, both of those can be found on my website. I don't love my name, but it's all I can remember. So it's jeremystallnicker.com. Go to jeremystallnicker.com. You can find both of those there uh, to find out about the work that we do at Mighty Oaks, and that's a better place, mightyoaksprograms.org, mightyoaksprograms.org. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate your friendship. Appreciate you coming on the show. Sure. Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate it. Lord bless you in Ukraine. Yes. So, July, not July, June 24th, 2022. Mark that on your calendar. And make sure you take time to, to um, celebrate with your family this week, with your church this week, uh, what God has uh, done on that day. 
And as we discussed on the show, the fight's not over. There's a lot of states that that need that can, um, uh, you know, uh, make Roe illegal in their state or make abortion illegal in their state. So there's still a lot of states. There's still states that are going to have not only do they have trigger bills, but they probably have exceptions in their bills also. So there's still uh, um, problems there. But this is a victory that we need to remember. And it's a victory that we need to build off of. So this is the water boy with water break. And until next Sunday, go fight, laugh, and feast. Armored Republic exists to honor Christ the King by providing tools of liberty to free men. New York State just banned body armor. Armored Republic is suing the state of New York in federal court to resist their arrogant war against your God-given rights. Mass shootings are tragic acts of evil that are best resisted by armed citizens and brave watchmen ready to fight back. The main violent threat to human life is not individual criminals, it is tyranny. This is Armored Republic. When tyrants take over, what's the first thing they do? Disarm. It happened in Russia, China, Germany, and most recently, Afghanistan. Why? Because disarmed people are easier to control. And over the last century and a half, American tyrants have been carrying out a slow, methodical disarmament that no one is talking about. State education. Tyrants know that education is warfare. Our rulers have a vested interest in making you totally harmless. They've got big plans and they don't want you getting in the way. Think about it. Would you rather fight an army decked out with high-powered rifles or a bunch of dinky water pistols? They know that if you can think critically, you're a threat. At New St. Andrews College, we want to graduate men and women who are dangerous. Dangerous to the world, dangerous to the principalities and powers, dangerous to spiritual wickedness in high places. Education can either arm you or disarm you. It can make you a threat or make you a useful idiot. <laughs> so, where you get that education counts. Click the link to apply to New St. Andrews College today.